0: From the Gettysburgian and 91.1 WZBT Gettysburg, I'm Ben Ponce, and this is On Target.
1: I'm Gary Mangala, and today on Target, we will be discussing Get Acquainted Today and a recent controversy involving Greek life.
0: Then we'll re-air an interview with Dr. Bill O'Hara, Assistant Professor of Music in the Sunderman Conservatory. Stay with us. All right, let's get into it. We're taping this on Friday the 12th. Better than Friday the 13th, I suppose. (laughs) Tomorrow is Get Acquainted Day. By the time this airs, Get Acquainted Day will have happened. It's the annual extravaganza of accepted students. I heard something like 670 families are coming this year. Wow. Gary... Yeah. Did you go to Get Acquainted Day when you were a prospective student?
1: I did. Um, I showed up on the Saturday of Get Acquainted Day, which I've now heard yesterday that it's sometimes called Gatter Day. I kind of like that.
0: I've heard it called GAD.
1: I've heard it GAD, but now yesterday I heard Gatter Day because it's on a Saturday.
0: Yeah, that's terrible.
1: You don't like that? Well, Strongly against. All right. Ben's against Gatter Day. I kind of like it, but GAD. Um... Yeah, and I came, I heard Julie Ramsey and President Riggs speak in the cup ballroom. And then I think we went on a college tour again, even though I toured here a few times. I got my orange dot, which you get if you have decided that you were coming to Gettysburg. You can either have it if you were an ED or you already accepted, or you can get it at GAD. So I got it at GAD and we turned in my deposit there. And then I went to some weird attic event, um, where a bunch of students or uh, accepted students sat around the attic, listened to some bad, you know, pop music for two hours and socialized. And then I went home and that was my gad.
0: Did you go to the club fair?
1: Oh, I did go to the club fair. Actually. I think I met Ben Ponce there.
0: Wow. I'm sure that was, you know, a memorable experience.
1: I think I picked up every single newspaper that you had like I picked up like each copy it was the April Fool's edition and I think the last two news editions I signed up I think I signed the honor co- Council uh, the honor code um, Oh, and I got a cup from the attic that changes color when you put a liquid in it
0: Cool stuff.
1: Yeah, I got some swag
0: Well, you know, that's where that <laughs> Tuition money. goes. Yeah,
1: what are you doing this gad? Ben?
0: I will be beginning my GAD at Link- the Lincoln Scholar Breakfast, mm-hmm. which starts at 8 o'clock. <laughs> ben I'm is standing. not happy about standing. that. Standing. Uh, then I have no idea where I'll even be able to park on campus, come to think of it.
1: You're not going to be able to.
0: Better walk. Yeah, you should. Uh, walk. In any case, uh, then I will be simultaneously setting up three displays at the co- club fair. Uh, including the bullets marching band, the Gettysburgian, and the Fielding Center for Presidential Leadership Study. Uh, after which, um, I will be speaking twice at the public policy afternoon academic sessions, and then I'll be speaking at the pre-law session. Uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty packed, get acquainted day, and then I am heading home home on Saturday evening. Nice. I personally did not attend Get Acquainted Day uh, when I was a prospective student. Do you regret it? No. (laughs) It's a pretty, uh, you know, pedestrian affair in my experience, although we do spend a great deal of time making campus look nice and then pretend that it looks that way year round.
1: That's always interesting. Yes.
0: So this week we saw a repainting occurring on Penn Hall that went from chipped paint that looked like a nuclear explosion had occurred
1: you're really into nuclear explosions this week.
0: Well, you know, it brings it out of me. And uh, then, so they that happened. The library steps had a great deal of, you know, issue. with uh, So I actually looked into the library step thing a little bit. Because they're brick— they absorb water over the course of the winter, and then the water freezes in the, like within the mortar of the brick, okay, and that right. cracks the bricks. And so pretty much every year, they've had to replace the bricks on that side of the library. And so it would seem to me that perhaps a better solution might be concrete or something. But
1: that, that's, a, that's a common theme that I'm hearing a lot. I hear about a lot of things that are like, oh, we fix it. They fix it every year for Get a Day, but don't actually fix the problem. Um, so right. it's fixed by the time you get acquainted. like I, I've heard of some like infrastructural issues with buildings where they fix it, but it's not actually fixed. It's just right, repaired, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, obviously, we want these things to look nice for prospective students. On the other hand, you know, it would be nice if campus didn't look like a dump other times of the year. And I understand that some of it is just seasonal, that, you know, for example, the fountain, was filled up on Monday, oh, yeah. and I joked on Monday that we fill the fountain. You can tell it's fountain season by f- being five days yeah. before Get Acquainted Day, and you know
1: last fine. week it
0: was below freezing. So like in fairness,
1: absolutely the fountain I get it. Like it's not- and it's also like not like the fountain when it's not filled. It doesn't look ugly. It's just an unfilled fountain.
0: Yeah, you know sometimes get his virgin staff get in it, Gary. Yep. Guess there's no further comment there no no, um, no comment
1: Please the fifth on that one but uh, like i've also heard like of like sidewalks being repaired and all, i also know that like the mulch has been been a big thing um we refilled all the mulch because the don't we like import plants
0: i don't know that we so there has always been a rumor that we rent the flowers <laughs> and i don't think that's actually true i mean i think we definitely buy the flowers and put well, them yeah. in a week before get acquainted yeah. Day. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure that the maintenance staff has been working overtime and good for them. But, uh, you know, it's just just another thing.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So other than that, on Monday, the Gettysburg College Student Senate held a candidate forum for presidential and vice presidential candidates. That election will be concluded by the time this podcast airs on Monday. Voting (sighs) closes Sunday night.
1: Uh, Remind me, they they announce it at Senate, right? They don't uh, even email it out. I do believe
0: that typically in my two years of experience seeing how this works and the first year I didn't really pay attention to Senate, uh, yes, that's typically how it rolls. Um, The candidates for president were Pat McKenna, Marissa Bolanda, and Hannah Dalzell. Uh, Vice presidential candidates were Rock Swartz and, and Jack Lashendock. I moderated a candidate forum on Monday evening at the Senate meeting that, uh, you know, I thought they were reasonably candid. Yeah, reasonably so. Yeah. You know, it's always difficult to handicap these elections to figure out how they might play out. You know, I think that it's fair to say that McKenna's base of support is likely going to be within the Greek community. Absolutely. Uh, Hannah Dalzell has been chair of the Senate Diversity Committee. And so depending on how some of the cultural clubs and and identity-based organizations that uh, often take part in that committee have felt about her leadership, maybe there's a base of support there. I think Marissa Belanda is trying to kind of cast herself as an institutionalist. Uh, maybe a natural successor, so to say, of of Nick Arbaugh, the current president?
1: Yeah, I think she also has a lot of pull with the uh, the, the first years that are very involved with Senate. She was very big in their onboarding this semester. Um, So I think in that way she probably has the first years more so.
0: Yeah, perhaps. I mean, it's always... Voter turnout is something that we never have known, and I intentionally put the candidates on the spot during the debate to ask whether they thought that the full vote totals ought to be released, and all five of them said yes, so Pat Custer, let's have (laughs) them. Yeah. And so last year, there was the snafu, the imbroglio, as one might say.
1: I can't, uh, that word.
0: Uh, that in, in engulfed the Senate election process involving uh, Haley Gluhanich and Marissa Bolanda. were both implicated and found responsible. Marissa Bolanda ultimately was elected secretary. Haley Gluhanich was ultimately appointed treasurer by the person who won the presidential election.
1: And had previously in, run, won the election for treasurer.
0: Nick Arba, yeah. yeah. so. There's that. We'll we'll maybe ask Nick about that next week uh, when we'll have him on the podcast. Uh, So any other takeaways for you from the forum, Gary?
1: I think that for one thing, the thing that kept coming up, with all the candidates, specifically with the vice presidents. But like, I think as a whole, you know, we have, we have the logo, uh, the logo, the slogan, Senate works for you. But the, the pitch that I think they were all kind of working with was Senate works best when it works for everyone, when it works for all Gettysburgians. Um, And it was just this very vague statement that they all seemed to be making. And, you know, there was a lot of buzzwords thrown around in Gettysburg College fashion, but I didn't hear... A lot of tangible change. You know, I heard a little bit here and there. I know Hannah Dalzell suggested um, an interview process um, rather than just a resume and a cover letter for um, committee chairs. And that was later also added on to Marissa Belanda and uh, uh Pat McKenna's list of things that they would want to do. They all seem to agree with that. I know Pat McKenna has long in his time with Student Senate, been very passionate about the committees of Student Senate and how they work. So he seemed to want to do more with that. Uh, Marissa Balanda seemed to want to uh, create a less uh, accessible Student Senate, uh, a more accessible Student Senate. Um, especially she says something about having, wanting to have office hours as student concerns didn't seem to be, you know, actually going anywhere further than just student concerns. She wanted to have a place where students could actually turn their concerns into action. Um, and you know, in some ways, maybe she is the person to do it. She was on the facilities task force her freshman year and, uh, you know, there was some change that happened with Hanson Basement. I think all three of them have seen some change in some way or another. With the vice presidential candidates, it seemed to be a lot of citing things that they had already done rather than what they plan to do further. Um, Rock was citing a lot of, you know, nut-free week at Servo with ice cream, um, his opinions about the um, free menstruation um products for students in yeah, bathrooms. by the way did yeah. you see
0: that there's a seventy five hundred dollar budget request on monday for some sort of infrastructure to support the implementation of this menstrual care product uh senate opinion
1: that's that's something um yeah i think my uh, email about the minutes for about uh what's coming, oh here it is yep found it oh wow that's fascinating yeah, so I don't know. I uh, that's definitely a lot of money. Um, I don't know what sort of
0: infrastructure is needed to support that.
1: It looks like it's a vending unit. So, um, essentially, from what I've ever seen in like women's bathrooms that have these, it's like uh, you know the gumball machines. It's the same basic premise as a gumball machine, but I'm assuming that this one wouldn't have a coin slot. It would just have a turn style, I guess. Um, To release the products. Yeah, I mean, there isn't, but then again, I did hear a couple of days ago that someone said there were like free products just in the bathrooms, but I don't know if that was just students donating it to the bathroom. I think that that would also be an interesting premise, is just like you can drop them off in some bathrooms. Yeah, I don't know. Um, But yeah, so that was a lot of what Rock was citing, also his work towards the 14 um, meal swipe plan. and Jack Lashendock talked a lot about his, uh, his uh, longstanding history of, you know, sometimes being the only dissenter in opinions. It seemed that all five candidates really didn't have, it, it seemed a lot as like almost an audition for what they were doing rather than a here are my plans if elected, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, of course there was one specific plan that okay.
1: was
0: elucidated in, in great detail. Yep. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Oh God, I don't want to. Um so Hannah Dalzell, uh, ever the um optimist. Uh she was asked by Ben about what she wanted what kind of events she wanted to plan to further greater uh, communication and also just greater um, involvement between Student Senate and the rest of campus, and she talked about how she wanted to do a uh, battle of the classes, so every class here um, would be able to participate in this uh, event, uh, a relay throughout campus, and some, she said hippity hop and hula hoop and ball pit and jump rope and all those kinds of things, uh, lost items, of. Uh, Falling professors, it seemed to be very fun, but it didn't seem to be something that I thought should have taken up the time at the student senate. It seemed like something that should have come to um, the college activities board, CAB, um, or maybe campus a activities. Campus board. activities board means the exact same thing as college activities board. Um, that should have come to CAB. I just don't think it was needed at the forum. I also just don't think it's something that. You know, when there's so many things wrong with Senate, and I think we've talked a lot about that over this last academic year, I don't think that that is the next step. Um, I don't think that that made sense. I think that there are so many institutional issues with Student Senate. You know, we talk a little bit about, um, you know, what happened with with people having issues with microaggressions in Student Senate and specifically in um, the Budget Management Committee, BMC. I don't think I realize going to solve that.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I'll be interested to see how that's received, if at all, in the, uh, in the voting.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: What else has been going on at Gettysburg?
1: Well, uh, so recently, Student Senate Recognized Club, uh, the half that has never been told, led by... Um, Uh, brother of Fiji. um, Tristan Chen. Tristan Chen, I believe Fiji stands for Phi Gamma Delta. That's right. Heck yeah, I did it. Um, Lovingly or not so lovingly known as Fiji. Um, Had recently been recognized by student senate. um, And it was advertised to student senate as essentially a philanthropy club, uh, specifically focusing on philanthropic work um, across the sea. So it would be like, in South Sudan and Yemen and Israel and, you know, helping children and helping the hungry and helping um, water crises and things like that. So it seemed like a pretty um, great thing. Um, it also, I think is of note that at student Senate, it was never once mentioned that Tristan was involved in Greek life or that the, col- or that the club would have anything to do with Greek life. Um,
0: yeah. But this first event that they held. Yeah. Did not have anything to do with that philanthropic work, as we understand, or at least that wasn't the primary focus. Yeah.
1: And it was co-sponsored with Fiji and SAE. And it was essentially, you know, advertised as um, fraternity brothers discussing the inequalities in the United States. Um, uh, It should be of note that SAE is probably the most diverse um, fraternity on campus. Um, But SAE wasn't... It was mostly being led by the executive board of the club. Um, First, Tristan Chen spoke um, and, you know, he was talking about inequalities in the United States. Specifically, it seemed to be a lot about um, black inequalities in the United States. And he told a story of, you know, a time that the N-word was shouted out a car at him um, by a bunch of white guys. And he was showing pictures of a lynching. There was no trigger warnings or anything like that. And then he had a picture up of Emmett Till postmortem and said that he felt like Emmett Till in that moment, um, to which um, there was a lot of um, pushback, you know, that he couldn't compare himself to Emmett Till or that no one could compare himself to Emmett Till. Um, it's a note that this was held in Mara Auditorium. So it was like a very public, like official event on um, the club is being advised by Scott Hancock in the history department, I believe.
0: History, he's the chair of the history department, and he's also uh, part of the Africana Studies program.
1: Yeah, and he immediately apologized to Tristan for not advising him better. Uh, students from OMI, LASA, BSU, among with other uh, cultural and identity organizations, but also just students, were in attendance and had a lot of pushback over the event. Um, there's been... A few apology emails, both from Hancock and Tristan Chen circulating. Um, Tristan said to not involve uh, the entirety of SAE, as well as um, the other members of the executive board in the faults of that night. Essentially, that SAE was to be involved with their philanthropic work that I spoke about earlier but not in this, uh, what he deemed an educational event. He wanted to further a dialogue. Um, he is the, he is um, the new diversity chair of Fiji. Um, and it seems that he wanted to, you know, start a conversation. Um, Tristan is Asian American. So I think I can understand that he may have felt that like, you know, I'm in Greek life, but I'm also a minority student at Gettysburg college. Maybe I can start a dialogue. Um, and you know, there's questions about his intentions, and there's questions about the carrying out. But I think, uh, for better for worse, he has indeed started a dialogue on campus today.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think certainly we're still learning more. There's a lot that remains unknown about this. Um, you know, I think fundamentally, it'll it it will come down to you know what, what were what was the intention here, and, and we often here on campus that it's better to try and fail than not try at all, but that may well be put to the test mm. with how people react to this. I agree.
1: All
0: right, I think that's going to about wrap up our news segment. We'll be right back with The Bullet Report followed by a replay of my interview with Bill O'Hara. And now it's time for The Bullet Report. On April the 6th, the softball team lost to her 4-0. The women's track team finished 12th of 20 at Millersville. The men's track team tied 7th of 22. The baseball team defeated Washington College of Maryland 7-5, but then the men's tennis team lost to Washington 5-4. The women's lacrosse team defeated Swarthmore 20-10. The men won 14-3, also over Swarthmore. The women's tennis team defeated Washington 5-4. The women's golf team finished 3rd of 12 at the Spartan Invitational. The baseball team then beat Washington in the second part of their doubleheader 10-4. The softball team lost 4-2 to her Sinus. The men's golf team on Sunday the 7th finished 6th 6 of, 6 of 15 at the Hershey Cup. The women's golf team finished 2nd of 11 at the Spartan Invitational. The baseball team lost 15-0 to Johns Hopkins. The softball team lost 4-3 to Dickinson on April the 9th. The baseball team lost 7-6 to Dickinson the same day. The softball team then won 4-3 against Dickinson later in their double header. The men's lacrosse team defeated Dickinson 11-8. The men's tennis team lost to Dickinson 9-0. The men's golf team finished 1st of 12 at the Moravian Spring Invitational and thus endeth the bullet report. We'll be right back with an interview that we taped about a month ago with Dr. Bill O'Hara. We're revisiting it now that the faculty has approved online courses. And we're thrilled to be joined today by Dr. Bill O'Hara, Assistant Professor of Music Theory in the Sunderman Conservatory of Music. Professor O'Hara, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ben. And so why don't we start with just a little bit of personal background, how you got to Gettysburg. I know that you um, did some teaching at Harvard that explored, and the topic of the day for folks listening is online hybrid courses that happened last, uh, there have been several pilots, but in particular you taught one last summer. Um, So just talk a little bit about kind of how you got to this point and what made you interested in doing a hybrid course for the first time Mm -hmm. last summer.
2: Yeah, sure. So I did my graduate work at Harvard. I did my PhD there uh, and finished in 2017. Did you meet the new president, by the way? Uh, I never met him, actually. No, <laughs> sorry. No. Did
0: we interrupt? Uh, but I had to had to ask. Yeah, no
2: problem. He was around, but you know the the general counsel's office has, has 20 or 30 lawyers running around in it,
0: and, and they don't interact the, with the music grad students too frequently. Yeah, no,
2: no. I'll, I'll actually get to one the the one uh, encounter I ever had with that office, but. Um, so while i was there at harvard uh one of the one of the really defining experiences was i had a part-time job at the teaching center um at harvard which is one of the things that i think probably set me on the path to you know a liberal arts college teaching career uh but also really introduced me to a lot of different media things um this is why i try to incorporate a lot of media into my classes because it was introduced to me in such a way at the teaching center where really engaging with 21st century technology was was presented as integral to being a professor in the 21st century and, and teaching today's students. So one of the projects they were involved in is um the a pretty large initiative of online courses. There's this big nonprofit called edX that uh Harvard and MIT and a lot of the schools around there are involved in. They're sort of all co-founders of it. Um and so when it was a Harvard course it was called Harvard X. And so I was involved in making some of those. There's actually a uh a course called First Nights, which is a big introduction to music kind of general education course there. And so I worked on creating an online version of that, helping to produce the videos, um, helping to create quizzes and tests and things like that that went on. And uh, actually in that process, the only encounter that I ever had with uh, you know the general counsel's office was that they they were very, uh, they were sticklers for copyright. Right. They had to really document everything is this is public domain or this is used by permission or this is from here and things like that. So that was a always a big part of the process of of creating an online course, because those courses are extremely public, and Mm -hmm. they're out there for anybody who wants to log in and create an account and take them, whereas this is, you know, much more local. Um,
0: And so you taught a class last summer on video game music, which is a course that you've also taught in in, an in-person form. When did you first decide that you wanted to take the in-person form online or to this hybrid setting, Uh, and, and what kind of challenges did that bring up? Or maybe what was better about the hybrid version of it?
2: Yeah, good questions. So I'm trying, I'm not sure that I can think of exactly the the moment when I decided, oh, I, I definitely want to, to be involved in this program. It's something that I had talked with, um, you know, Jack Ryan and Chris Zappi about uh, the year before when I had interviewed here about two years ago at this time. Um, I had told those, them about those experiences that I'd had and, uh, how they were sort of important and how I was interested in, in continuing to explore them. Um, so when they, I had been having this conversation and going to some of the information sessions and, uh, when Jack told me that there was a spot available, I, I jumped at it and just sort of said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I'll take the leap. Um, you know, as you, as you know, the courses had to be classes that were either taught being taught at the time a year ago right now, or were about to be taught in the fall.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. You
2: could, I don't think anybody actually did that, but they were willing to accept those since they could then be evaluated sort of just in reverse order. Um, So as far as the process, there were, there were a few, you know, a few steps to it. There was kind of number one, trying to translate the class as it was um, into an online form, you know, for a condensed version. Um, My, online course was sort of five and a half weeks we had uh i started mine a little bit later because i was going to a conference right after commencement so we started june 1st and we went through the first week of july but we had the 4th of july in there so i sort of let the class go into another half week to make up for the fact that there was Mm -hmm. the holiday and if people wanted to you know be with family and friends and travel they didn't have to feel pressured that they were going to fall behind in the last week So roughly, it's sort of a 14, 15-ish week semester translates to, you know, 14 weeks is a little less than three weeks units per week, basically, is how I sort of translated it. So there's a pretty direct translation. Um, As far as the process of teaching the course, my class incorporated um, a lot of video lessons since I sort of already had some comfort in doing that. I was making YouTube videos. of let's say varying production values there are some you know that i really put a lot of time into using a lot of media examples and things like that um to try to recreate some of the things i might have done in class you know those are a lot of work though um there are also a lot where it's me scribbling on a tablet the kinds of things that i would be writing on the board and just kind of talking through them so there Mm -hmm. are less formal things as well and then we we supplement all of those with all the same readings that the students on campus are doing um a lot of writing my particular approach was that we're going to do a lot of writing to make up for the fact that we have fewer actual class discussions Right, um, and then they have video meetings and things like that So they would they would speak to each other face-to-face for a couple of hours a week And we used a kind of live text chat thing and um Many people will probably have heard of Slack and we used this other sort of competitor of Slack called Discord, which is just more geared towards gaming. So it, it kind of fit in with the whole aesthetic of the class. Right. But it's basically, you know, you chat in channels sort of by topic, and I asked people to respond to one of the one of the weeks. Uh, readings.
0: And so a few so a few weeks ago, there was a faculty meeting at which this topic was discussed. And I wanted to just kind of go through some of the concerns that were raised and kind of get your perspective from having taught this. So one of the areas that was broached was the idea that it's you, you mentioned it's a 15 week semester, and this gets condensed into a five week course, how much time do students spend, you know, per week, per day. Is it a full-time commitment to take this class over the summer?
2: It's a pretty serious commitment. Um, you know, the, the scheduling of the live portions certainly works out, um, to the point where, you know, we had some things where we were working around students. I think I had sometimes Wednesday night things cause I had students who were doing internships or had summer jobs. Um, So I would say that a lot of people were doing other things. This was not the only thing that they were doing in the sense of a full-time commitment. Um, But it certainly is several, you know, times more, several orders of magnitude more than a single class during the semester is. I had the sense that they were probably working on it two or three hours a day, Mm -hmm. at least between, you know, going through videos, you know, doing readings, potentially more than two or three hours a day, I would suppose, Um, a couple of live chats and things like that. Um, so in, in terms of the workload, you know, I don't have the exact figures and I think the figures that were shown demonstrate that it's not a, it's not a three to one, you know, they don't work three times as much, um, but they, they certainly work a lot.
0: And so, um, in terms of kind of what. I think a lot of people think of online learning as this very asynchronous, you know, video quiz, video quiz sort of model. How would you say the structure of your course was different? than? You've kind of talked about that a little Mm -hmm. bit, but what were some of the synchronous components of it? Um, And and just get into that a little bit, if you Mm -hmm. would.
2: Yeah. So each week we had a couple of we had some synchronous things um, in which we would I would plan them more or less equivalently to an on campus Lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had a lot of things in the on campus course where it was read this article, or sometimes I would split the class and say, You guys read this article, you read this article, and we're going to have a, a conversation where you teach the other side of the class what your article was. So I would replace sessions like that with, you know, our chats would go ab- about an hour, 10 minutes, an hour and 15 minutes, roughly analogous to one on campus class meeting. Um, so there was that in terms of actual, you know, face-to-face communication time. The asynchronous text chat would kind of sprawl across a whole week. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, as I mentioned, there were a lot of reading responses so that students had um, really a lot of, of sort of contact with me through their writing. Um, I really got to stay on top of what students are thinking about, um, about the material. So in a way, it actually felt like I had a lot more direct contact with my students. I was reading their writing responses at least every other day. Mm -hmm. They were sort of responding to things. Things were set up so that a unit would take about a day and a half. And so the rough model was they would probably spend Monday, Tuesday working through one unit, Thursday, Friday working through another, and then kind of Friday, Saturday, Sunday working through the third. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and they can work to some degree in any order that they want. Um, But I was reading their thoughts Every other day chatting with them a couple times a week um, in various formats. And so I actually felt in that way more directly connected to right. my students and kind of staying right on top of what are they thinking? How are they reacting? How are they progressing? Are people falling behind? Because mm-hmm. there's really no time to fall behind when there's, a, when there's a course like this, which right. is, you know, one of the potential drawbacks, but it's something to kind of be aware of.
0: Yeah. And so another um, concept that was kind of brought up had to do with how the notion of a, of a web-based course fits in with the idea of being a liberal arts college where, you know, we talk about discussion-based classes mm-hmm. is such a, you know, cliched term that gets thrown around all the time. But, you know, the idea that, you need to be able to engage critically with these things. And some people who have maybe had some experiences that have been negative with online learning, you know, uh, one phrase I heard from a faculty member in a conversation afterwards was they taught an online course in grad school, and they referred to it as intellectually bankrupt. Um, And so, you know, how would you say that your course was intellectually non-bankrupt? Intellectually non-bankrupt. Yeah, so... I
2: think, number one, the, the thing to know is that these are very different than, you know, the kinds of online courses that I was working on in grad school. You know, the, the hopefully the kind of online course that this uh, faculty member was teaching. This feels like a very different experience for that. Um, those, you know, my experience there was, you know, the massive open online courses is, are probably a little bit bigger than uh, this faculty member was talking about. But they really had to be sort of Mm -hmm. one-size-fits-all. And so in terms of fitting the content to my students and really working with them very closely, this felt very much like an online or an on-campus experience um, in the sense that there was that sense of a very small community. We kicked things off by uh, I asked the students to each post a little YouTube video of themselves, introducing themselves. Um, One of the benefits that I found was that students had a lot of pre-existing relationships on campus, you know, since it's restricted to Gettysburg students who have already finished their first year, um, you know, I had a couple of people from the soccer team who all already knew each other, you know, you have people who have taken classes together already. Um mm-hmm. there's kind of a pre-existing rapport that you build on, you know, in much the same way as an on-campus course. You get to know people gradually right. throughout the semester and as they have talks and and uh you know, you get a nice kind of hangout time before the live chat starts as everybody's signing in to the video and kind of sitting there and talking about, oh, you know, what are you what are you up to? What have you been doing and mm-hmm. things like that and and catching up. You get really the same kind of milling around feeling so I would say that it, it does feel very personal and that, you know, I put a lot of attention into trying to translate the course directly in a way that feels true to the Gettysburg experience. That mm-hmm. it's not, um, you know, you can't simply put things online. There is a process of translation that goes through and you kind of think, okay, if I, what do I want my students to get out of this? What do I want them to get out of it when we're on campus, which is a lot of direct interchange, um, And I tried to really make sure that they were getting the same things Mm -hmm. out of the online courses.
0: What would you say the level of engagement of students was in this – setting as compared to during the semester? You know, on one hand, when students are only taking one course at a time, it seems like it could be a very immersive experience Mm -hmm. where you're focusing on only one thing and getting to spend a lot of, you know, intellectual time on that one thing. On the other hand, you know, it can be easier to disengage over the summer or that sort of thing. What was Mm -hmm. your sense of kind of the level of engagement? Yeah.
2: My sense was that the level of engagement was pretty high. Again, that's partly by necessity. There's really no time to disengage. And, uh, and take a couple days away or skip class or anything like that. Um, I will say that I, I had one student end up dropping the class because they realized, okay, I'm not going to be able to, to stay with this rigorous summer schedule. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, I felt much more connected to them on a day-to-day basis. Like we built up that rapport very quickly that sometimes takes a couple of weeks on campus as you're learning everybody's names, only seeing them, you Mm -hmm. know, a couple of times a week, you're learning people's names, you're learning about their majors and their backgrounds. And that rapport actually happened very quickly because you have such intense, you know, contact with them. So it felt, uh, very rigorous in that sense. And it also was really luxurious to sort of have that be the only thing that I was working on. And the only thing that they were working on sort of the, um, You may have heard of Colorado College. There's this whole liberal arts college that basically does this on campus. They have five-week terms or so. And uh, I I sort of saw there's definitely an attraction to that model to be really focused on um, one course, one topic, exploring it from a lot of different angles um, and really immersing yourself in it for five or six weeks.
0: Was it your sense that, I mean, I don't know, were the students that you had in this course mostly non-music majors? Or was it a mix? I I guess my question where Mm -hmm. I'm going with this is, Was it your sense that maybe students were more willing to kind of try something new in this vein in in the condensed summer format where Mm. it didn't take up one of their slots, so to say, during the semester? That's a really good –
2: that's a really good point. So the on-campus version actually was a a pretty mixed course in terms of I had a lot of um, non-music majors who were taking it for an arts credit. I had a lot of – upper division sort of junior and senior music majors who were taking it, you know, because they were interested in it. The summer course ended up being entirely non-majors. I didn't have any music majors or minors in there, so everyone was taking it for Gettysburg curriculum requirements. Um, It definitely seems possible that people were sort of willing to, either willing to try something new or interested in trying something new over the summer, or perhaps since there's this direct you know, summer follows directly from the spring semester. There could have mm-hmm. been people who were uh, hearing about the course and wanted to take it if they weren't able to during the spring. But I also do have the sense that there's a, a sort of pragmatism to the students who were taking summer courses and that they um, were interested in fulfilling one of their requirements mm-hmm. um, yeah. during the summer, uh, particularly because there were, you know, there were a decent number of athletes. So I do have the sense that students are, are interested in getting some credits in, a not, in an asynchronous way. But I don't really see that as a problem. I think that if students um, if students are interested in perhaps getting one requirement done so that they have a slightly easier time when it's their sports season or something right. like that, or, uh, you know, offering them another chance to make up a course, uh, whether they had to drop a course, whether they failed a course, whether they had to um, take a reduced schedule. You know, at one point I was corresponding with a student who had been having health problems and saw the... The summer courses as a chance to catch up in a way that wouldn't ordinarily mm-hmm. be available to them. Right. Um, so I think there's there are a lot of different ways that the students look at it.
0: What was your workload as a you know teacher of one of these courses? You know there was the comment at the faculty meeting that you know junior faculty ought to be spending their summers <laughs> totally immersed in research, yeah. such that you know they'll get tenure and then maybe it's okay <laughs> to to teach these online courses. You know as a as a faculty member, what was your experience? You mentioned that it was kind of the only thing you were doing for those five weeks. But what was your mm-hmm. sense of that? Yeah,
2: in the sense of intensely focusing on that, it was the primary thing that I was doing. Um, so the, the workload, it ended up that I would sort of work uh, pretty intensely at the beginning of a week or sort of, you know, sometimes I'd start on Monday, sometimes I'd start on Sunday, um, kind of building out the units. There were a lot of things, you know, I already had all of the PDFs for the readings and things like that, and I had everything built out in Moodle. Um, but a lot of it was video production, in that I would start sort of on Sunday and make some videos that students would watch on Monday. And then on Monday, I'd watch a bunch of videos that they'd be watching in the middle of the week. And by Tuesday, I'd wrap that up. And I'd have sort of the whole week built out. So Sunday, Monday, Tuesday were pretty intense. So you were building the course um, as you went? To a great degree. Yeah. I mean, I had my lecture notes, I had plans and things like that. And I knew what it was going to look like. Um, but video production does take a little bit of time. Right. Um, the the idea with this was that they're not fully polished. The goal is to get the content to the students and to you know to give them something to watch and to engage with. So it wasn't sort of full post production, um, but it still would take you know a few hours per unit to kind of do um, to do lecture videos. A lot of times they'd be built off of PowerPoint. Um, but as I discovered, some of the things that are very easy on campus, like showing up and playing a YouTube video of something, takes a little bit of doing. You have to figure out how to get that into the, the lecture video or you have to you know, make separate units where it's like, all right, here's me talking for 10 minutes. Now, please go to YouTube and watch this other clip and then come back and watch part two. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a little bit of thought and planning. So the beginnings of the weeks were sort of front loaded with that kind of work. Um, I'd have live chats with the students. I think those were happening Wednesday and Friday, if I remember correctly. Um, and then there was a fair amount of grading to stay on top of, cause you really want to kind of let them start each week fresh and know, you know, your responses to what they had done in the previous week. So there was a fair amount of work. Um, but that said, it really was only five weeks of the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, am pretty happy with my productivity over the summer that I was able to do a lot of other research. I spent some of that time, um, you know, as you're doing various stages of a research project, there are things that require more or less intellectual engagement. So, Mm -hmm. for example, June was a perfect time to go through page proofs and to go through, like, you know, editor's comments and things like that and turn around a lot of the things that I'd rather not be doing when I have free and open creative time. Right. Um, So I kind of got those tasks out of the way. And then really in July and August, I was able still to get a lot done. And I, I will also say that now that I have all of these videos ready, Um, you know, I wouldn't say that if I teach this course again next summer, that it'll be exactly the same, but that I'll have an 80% head start and sort of know, oh, I really want to do a new video on this. I really want to remake this video on that. I want to change this, but I'll have this whole repository of the previous course. And so teaching it a second time will be a lot less time consuming.
0: What if any drawbacks are there to this model or things that you wished you would have been able to do or that you might do differently in a future iteration of this that maybe are not as much issues in the traditional classroom setting?
2: Hmm. Well, I will say that the technology occasionally, you know, caused a few little hiccups. Uh, I'm not sure that any of us in the in the this past summer really solved the video chatting problem. Issue to a way that we were all very happy with. We were kind of experimenting with different pieces of software, but one of these online courses is in an awkward spot where a lot of the free solutions that are out there, like Skype and and Google Hangouts and things, sort of top out in the single digits. And so, if you have a dozen students and a professor, you're kind of looking at at something that we pay for. Right. Um, so, I think once the college decides to do this, they'll make an investment in something professional. Like there's a there's some Adobe software that people use to teach online courses and do remote meetings. But as it was, we were a little bit patching things together. So there were some times when so-and-so's webcam isn't working and I can't see them or they're, they get disconnected right. um, from the video chat. Um, so there were occasionally technical issues. I was lucky enough not to have internet access problems, but I know that that's a, that's a potentiality that, that I may not be able to connect or a student right. may not be able to connect. And that's those are things you don't really worry about on campus. Um,
0: are there any pedagogical drawbacks? Hmm.
2: Things, I'm not sure that things flow, you know, quite as freely as when you can move around the room and kind of engage with students. You know, I do occasionally miss, there are, there are things you learn to do as a professor that actually require you to be in person. Sort of, you can use proximity to the students. You can, you know, you can circulate around. Um, you can sort of, Check on their levels of engagement and, and get people to to think about things differently or you can reconfigure you know I find a lot of a lot of value in reconfiguring my classroom for a day and getting mm-hmm. the students to pair up or something like that. So you can't really do that um, in certain ways online but at the same time you actually generally have their faces right in front of you so you actually you can you can sort of check on their level of engagement in those sorts of ways it, it ends up being a little bit different. Um, Overall, to give a broad answer, I'd I'd say everything needs to be planned out in a way that it doesn't necessarily uh, on campus. There's mm-hmm. there's no way to sort of fly by the seat of your pants when your lesson isn't quite there and just use your own uh, subject matter knowledge. You you kind of do have to have things planned out in, in advance. Um, that... I think in a lot of ways is a, is a plus. It actually requires right. you to structure things and to, to think things through. Um, but yeah. And like I said, you get some video chatting, you get some informal time before and after, but you actually are not physically there with the students and you, you know, you might potentially miss out on some of the before and after right. chat and things like that.
0: And then were there any lessons from teaching the hybrid online version of this that you actually would bring into your traditional classroom, you know, from, you know, either pedagogically or things that you could do with the technology?
2: Yeah, well, I, I definitely made some videos that I'm going to continue to use with my on-campus students the next time, uh, the next time I teach this. It, sort of lets you, you know, the nice thing about having to translate a lecture into something that someone can do at home is that you can then do some, uh, some sort of flipped classroom techniques, for example, where I now have a bunch of lecture videos that are delivering content, which will allow me to do a little bit more discussion the next time I teach this course on campus. Um, They're also, you know, kind of really nicely polished, uh, you know, teaching videos that I put out there that, um, you know, I can have my own students watch a couple of them have even sort of made it out into the youtube ecosystem and you know i have i have one on theories of play that that i keep getting comments from from non-gettysburg people stumble across it and they say oh this is such a great summary thank you for making this oh, yeah, you're welcome youtube um, famous <laughs> exactly youtube famous you know it's it's got since the summer you know not a ton but five or six hundred hits you yeah. know I should have should have put an ad on it and be 12 cents <laughs> richer
0: There you go. Uh, So on balance, it seems as if you would say that this was a positive experience that you would like to see the college continue to move Mm -hmm. forward with. Based on what you've heard other faculty members saying and other comments that have been made at at, at faculty meetings and such, what would be kind of your closing argument in that vein?
2: Yeah, you're right, Ben. I I do think that this is definitely a positive thing. It's a chance to think about your teaching in a different way. Um, It's a chance to you know, you don't necessarily always get the chance to teach these general education courses back to back. For example, so I came at the course differently, having just taught it in the spring. Um, one other thing I'll take back to campus is just the fact that it's given me another chance to reevaluate the papers and the assignments that are that I already have. So mm-hmm. that that process of course development usually takes a few years, and this can accelerate that. Overall, I'd say that it's a very it's a very productive thing for the college to be working on. Um, you know, I think that they've done a couple of summers of the pilot program, and we've learned a lot of things. There's still more to learn, um, but I think that really engaging as a as a college in the 21st century is going to require us to com- continue to experiment in these ways. And I think the opportunity right now is to to do that on our own terms um, by continuing to develop online courses, continuing to run them, getting more faculty involved. You know, I'm sure that there are more people who are interested who haven't yet had the chance to teach a course online, but there are also probably faculty members out there who might not think they want to do this, but would would find it a, a really positive and productive experience. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to decide what does online or hybrid teaching and learning look like for a residential liberal arts school. And at this point, we have the freedom to experiment and decide that for ourselves. You know, if we were coming to this in 10 years, we may not have that freedom. It may be a matter of mm-hmm. we're behind. We, we need to think about our survival or our continued thriving. Um, so I think it's a really exciting chance to really experiment and find the ways that feel true to Gettysburg, find the ways in which um, a summer program can complement all the other things that happen during the school year and during the summer, um, I think that it can be a it can be a very useful uh, part of the residential experience that we offer.
0: All right, Professor Bill O'Hara, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you, Ben. That's on target for this week.
1: We would like to thank the staff of the Gettysburgian and the Executive Board of WZBT for their ongoing support in this project. Please be sure to subscribe to OnTarget on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, iTunes, or wherever else you get your podcasts.
0: OnTarget is a joint production of the Gettysburgian and WZBT. Our theme music was composed by Diego Rocha, senior music major focusing on composition in the Sunderman Conservatory of Music. Be sure to join us next week. We'll sit down with Student Senate President Nick Arbaugh. Have a great week.